Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, this is Gideon. Welcome to one more episode of the World Class Designer Podcast. So this is a very unexpected episode because we didn't plan this. So and I have my guest today, uh, Adrian uh, from Nairobi Design Week, uh, which runs a lot of initiative like in in Kenya. And uh, we end up deciding to we we were we were having an informal conversation, but we decided to record an episode because uh, what I was hearing from Adrian was really interesting. I want. I wanted I wanted to share with all of you guys. So, like to start, Adrian. Uh, I'm sorry. We're gonna have to. You're gonna have to reintroduce yourself and talk about what you just told me about your story. So, welcome to the show, and uh, please tell us a bit about yourself. I'm Adrian Yankovyak. Uh, I'm a industrial designer and the creative director, and I. I, w- I was born in Poland and grew up in Poland until the age of seven and then moved to London. And that's why, that's why I sound like a Londoner. So then studied, studied in the UK and uh, I'll, I'll go into more things. Um, so really, really, I started as a kid. I was always, uh, always creative, always loved drawing and always into animation in fact as a kid i really thought i would go into being an animator at some stage um and i found that going into industrial design actually let me do the the physical the the really satisfying thing of having a physical output something that you can touch and feel so that's what i why i chose product design and during during my time growing up, I was really heavily influenced by <clears throat> by my my family, my grandparents. My grandparents are very creative. My grandfather is an engineer. He's an author. He's a teacher and and a model maker. And he's really one of the the OGs in the Polish model making scene. Uh, he's he's the kind of guy that people refer to his models uh, and so on. Um, so. I spent a lot of time with with my grandparents, with my granddad and grandma in Poland, and uh, played with Lego, played with cardboard, always cutting things out and making models, and and like I said, drawing. And then, uh, as I when I moved to the UK, that just carried on. I was that kid in the back of the class who was always drawing on on their exercise books, and even going into meetings. Once I got my first job, actually as a graduate. Uh, I'd be doodling in meetings, and the great thing is because of the amazing people I worked with there, they actually didn't have a problem with it because it's it's just my form of note taking. Um, so, so it that was that was just, uh, really nice for me. So, um, I I then went to to school, did a lot of design and technology at school, did a lot of furniture making. I really loved wood as a material and forming wood, shaping it and the way down to the way it smells and also worked with plastics and metals. So that introduced me more for when I did actually go to university and and got to discover the different processes of manufacturing and so on. Um, So what what else did we wanna did I wanna touch on? Did I miss anything? 
I think is you covered most of it, but I would like to know like how, like how your story, how you end up in Nairobi. It's there is a missing yes. link there. Of course, yes, yeah, we're, get, we're getting there. You're right. So, um, as a while studying industrial design, I really aspired to that form of minimal design. Um, minimal, not just aesthetically, but actually looking at what needs to starting design with what should be taken out with what do what do we not need here and what are the only components uh that that are necessary for this to function and and so on uh kind of like a first principles approach to design i guess um and and while studying industrial design i think we had a module maybe in my second year that was uh, about talking to people about doing design research and about finding insights from people. And that was really, that project really gave me a, a true understanding of where design is going and the way that I want to look at design. And that being through understanding the people who are who are utilizing it. And that, that drove me then, uh, even I think even when, um, I, I went for an internship in India in my third year. So, so in that internship, I got to design toys. So there were wooden toys made with local artisans and in, in Chanapatna in near Bangalore, which is known for traditionally for its kind of wooden, wooden process. And they were looking to create, use that traditional process to create some products that were, um, for the modern market and for the global market. So we, we created those, they were called green toys. And to this moment, it's one of the most fulfilling design projects I've done. You know, work it, working on toys is just a lot of fun. Um, and then, then when, I, when I graduated, uh, my, I still aspired, I think, to be in consumer electronics, working with physical products and uh, so I, I managed to get a, well, my, first of all, my major project was actually a pair of headphones that turned into speakers um, without any buttons. So I created those by... That's nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was a really, really fun project. So you take the, the headphones off and you would fold them up. And as, the, as they folded up within the headband, you would have two outward-facing speakers. And those speakers would only be able to turn on if you closed it. So there was no physical switch for someone to turn it on when it was on your head, because that could obviously be dangerous. Uh, so we used a reed switch, what's called a reed switch, which is a, a small glass capsule with two metal strips inside it. And when you put a magnet to those strips, they connect and complete the circuit. So I put a magnet in some, inside one of the headphones and then put uh, and put and put the reed switch in the other headphone. So when you close it, that circuit would close, and that would activate the amplifier, which would kick in to play music through the speakers. So it was like a fully buttonless experience, yeah. and that was called Dubnium. It was called Dubnium. You know, at the time, at the time, the word dub was very, very in as well. Dubstep was huge, and Dubnium is actually an element. So talking about those little touches in design, 
Um, the, I used the electron layout for Dubnium, the element, to put on the insides of the headphones where the, the speaker grill is. So it's those, those little things that, as a designer, give you pleasure, even if 995 or 9% of people won't, won't ever see them, right? Um, so, so I really, I wanted to go into consumer electronics. And even after I graduated, I got, I got a job as a technology sourcing assistant. So actually, it wasn't a direct industrial design role. And I had to kind of work it into being a design role. By that, I mean, my job was to uh, effectively source and list technologies that we could use in, in the company. The company I worked for was called Reckitt Benkiza. Now they're just called Reckitt or RB. Um, and they're like a competitor to Unilever and P&G. And they do brands such as Airwick, Dettol, Durex, Finish, Strepsils, Neurofan, Veet, and, and so on. And I got to work across all of those brands. I think I got to work on 20 or 30 brands in the time I was there. So, so I was working at the New Technologies Group, which is the, the really blue sky department, or it used to be, because it, it's since shut down, actually, uh, or been renamed. So the New Technologies Group was full of amazing, future-thinking, creative people who were experts in their fields and could really understand uh, how to connect ideas and how to connect um, technologies and insights and consumer insights. So we often would work uh, from a consumer insight or from a technological insight. So to give you an example, a consumer insight might be that uh, people are using dishwashers in a new way and we would like to incorporate that behavior into, into what they're doing. And a technological insight might be from that huge list of technologies that we've, we looked through every week, we might find a technology um, that we're really interested in and we just think that it has some sort of a potential for the company. And these technologies would often be from other industries as well. So it would be like really trying to fit these puzzles that haven't ever been created before together. Uh, so as a, an example of one of those, um, our department worked on... The Finnish product, Finnish is a dish, dishwasher brand. Um, just before my time there, they released a dishwasher product that had 12 doses, and it was like a rotating cylinder. So each time the dishwasher, uh, the dishwasher ran a cycle, it would release these different chemicals at different stages throughout the cycle. So um, now, now that seems quite simple, and the way they did it was actually through something called a wax motor. And a wax motor is something you might find in a car engine. And in fact, that's where one of our directors who, who came up with this idea, uh, I think that's how they found it. They, they found a wax motor, which changes shape effectively um, as you heat it. So the wax changes shape, and that allows you to run a ratchet mechanism around this cylinder and that allows you to have different doses come out as the dishwasher heats. And so that's the basic principle of it now. And then you just have to apply it to every dishwasher cycle in the world. 
and you have to then start realizing that US dishwasher cycles and Japanese and European dishwasher cycles are totally different from each other. Um, so all of that working with that team of really amazing people kind of furthered, furthered that urge for connecting ideas for me, really for, um, for wanting to, to be able to, to create better collaborations and how to work with people. So um, really that, that was kind of a driving force. But also I think something that I found really interesting when I spoke to you was that you really uh, wanted this the, to become a world-class designer. That wasn't a thing that, that you had at the outset. And that's something that really drove me as well. I think uh, sometimes at university, seeing that hard work pays off and seeing, I think a lot of my university education almost got topped up once I was in industry. And I thought I would approach it that I maybe would do a master's afterwards once I get a few years in industry because I'd get so much more value from that. And so when I graduated, when I graduated, my real goal was to, um, to be able to create and to be able to design when I graduated, I knew there were two things that I really loved. And those two things were design and travel. And my goal, I remember, I think, um, listening to a podcast, and it may have been, uh, it was maybe a Paula Scher interview. And I don't, it was either Paula Scher or Debbie Millman around that time. And she said that, and I think it was with Tim Ferriss, she said that you have to find your one thing that you want to do and be focused on that one thing. And she gave the example of wanting to be in Manhattan and just after and just wanting to be a designer and work in Manhattan. And no that's what she said. Way. No way. Dude, mm -hmm. I was inspired to move to South Africa for the same exact episode and for the same exact no way. That is impossible. <laughs> Can't believe this. <laughs> Wow. For the same episode on for the same exact words. You have to find your number one non-negotiable thing. <laughs> oh, dude, that's amazing. <laughs> the non-negotiable. Exactly. Yeah. What is your non-negotiable? <laughs> yeah. Like, was that was the part of the Debbie Mewen uh, interview with Jim Ferris that made me move to South Africa like five, almost five years ago. Dude, that is a, that thing is like, it's, <laughs> written you know oh wow i love it yeah. yeah i love it so yeah so so it was debbie moment right yeah. Yeah yeah, yeah 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 so so um yeah so that listening to that i kind of thought well i've got to make my what is my thing if i don't have a, a goal if i don't have an aim then what am i doing and that was kind of the issue for me because i have so many interests I decided that my non-negotiable is kind of going to have to be this combination of two things because there are two things that I really wanted to do. And I wanted to be able to travel and I wanted to be able to design and create. And those um, at the time didn't seem feasible. As silly as that might seem in 2021, uh, it really, first of all, I remember going to my university during an open day before I even joined the department. And they 
we had this scheme that allows you to go on a one-year internship and get a diploma for it or whatever. Um, and I asked during that open day whether I'd be able to travel during the degree, whether it's a, something where you can do like a Erasmus exchange or something. Um, and none, actually, they told me that it's not possible because the level of our degree is so much above anyone else's that we don't, that you'd have to step back a year. You'd have to redo a year with us. I said, okay, fine. Um, so I thought I need to get out in other ways. And that's why my travel to India in my third year, because I'd written, I wrote to people in like every country in the world, you know, literally just, I want to, I want to work with you. I want to be in this country and ended up finding through ISEC, a student organization. I highly recommend ISEC actually to students who are looking for internship exchange opportunities, but also just to meet people from around the world. Uh, it's a really cool organization. So I ended up um, back to my non-negotiable. I managed to be doing that kind of stuff with my internship. It was five months, so it wasn't a 12-month thing like most of the other students did, but it was such a life, uh, such a, an amazing life experience, not just a professional one, that I knew this was something I wanted to do more of. So as soon as I graduated, that became my non-negotiable. And one thing I also knew I had to do now going back to this this idea of world class design is that I knew I needed to up my game and I I knew that I needed to put hard work in and be able to and be doing things beyond just sitting in an office especially if I'm not uh directly working in as an industrial designer which I did end up doing by the way that technology sourcing assistant role turned into a technology sourcing associate and that was much more i had i even had a design intern at the time and we kind of built up this small design team internally so we became people who uh who who would be referred to with design so yeah so um i knew i needed to up my game i'd spend the evening sketching i'd spend the evenings working on my portfolio and applying for, uh, there was only one master's degree that I wanted to go for at the time, and that was uh, Innovation Design Engineering at the Royal College of Art, because those, those people are world-class designers. And I said, well, if I'm going to be working like that, I need to, I need to learn from those people. Um, I didn't even get an interview. <laughs> okay. And <laughs> so so that, that actually was... You know, um, a lot of us go go a long time without facing rejection, right? Even though I'd spent maybe 300 applications for internships, it was a bit different to actually get a letter back from the Royal College of Art and say you haven't been selected, especially after all those hours, hundreds of hours of work to put into it. So I thought, right, well, okay, I don't have the right experience here and I need to develop that. And that's why I really... I ended up leaving Reckitt because the experience there was great. The industry, um, the what I learned there was a really good foundation for me. And then I went into consulting. So I ended up consulting as a human-centered designer. And that's what brought me to Kenya. And I worked for an NGO called WSUP, uh, Water and Sanitation for the Urban Poor. And, and it was a 
water and sanitation projects that I'd worked on for Gates Foundation NGOs and uh, for one for one NGO for multiple projects. So I was based in Nairobi and I worked in Bangladesh in Ghana as well. And so so I got to go to Bangladesh, got to go to Ghana, got to be in the office in Nairobi and also got to go to Kisumu, which is uh, Kenya's third city. And I got to spend a few months there as well, working on directly interviewing people every day, uh, researching, uh, observing how people live uh, and so on. And really at that time, I just arrived in Nairobi. Nairobi was amazing. It got immediately within my first few weeks, I met so many incredible creative people here and met uh, so many people having similar conversations about the impact they are trying to have and about the things they're trying to do. And the more I had these conversations in Nairobi and at the same time as I was having conversations with people in through a translator a lot of the time, an interpreter, because uh, I'm not, I don't speak Bengali and I don't, I didn't speak any Swahili at the time. So, and even, and even if you are uh, someone who is native with a language or fluent with a language, it's much better to have someone who's a native uh, working on these things. So then these two, these two insights of like an amazing creative community and then, hey, why aren't, why aren't, they're human-centered designers from Kenya. Why aren't they the people working on this? Um, and that got me thinking. Well, we there must be there must be a way to to I kind of not um, not encourage this thing of let's keep getting foreign uh, let's keep going for foreign design consultants and let's try to use the local talent and really started building up that network and then Nairobi Design Week started. So those are the reasons. Nice, it's nice, nice. That's that's a fantastic. Uh, uh, so so, yeah, that's a really an amazing story. And but uh, like, uh, don't you feel that the mesh, the your mission changed over time, or are you still the same? Yeah, good good question. Uh, so, in fact, we're not the only people who are working with that sort of a mission. I think our mission has changed. I, know, I wanted to just give a shout out, of course, to Tosh and Nairobi Design Institute because they effectively are trying to solve that problem of why aren't there enough designers locally? And they're doing that so effectively, hopefully, that, that more and, you know, Nairobi has now become like a hub of human-centered design. And I remember having this conversation with Tosh in 2014 um, about it. And it's really, it's really great to see how everything's progressed. And for us, for us, the central key word is community. Everything we do is focused on our community and it's about learning from our community as well. So I, the, it's changed in the sense that we are now more trying to help people connect whether first of all i think the the idea of providing that platform that informs people that's something that has stuck with us and that's something that we're still doing and that's why we have daily content and we share people from the community but i think now also as we've learned what we should be working on we also have realized that there are several areas that perhaps 
we don't need to specialize in because other people have started and they are specializing in those areas, such as NDI, for example. So, um, so what we do now as well is really trying to show the impact of design. And that can be small, that can be, of course, from the small touches and the aesthetics, but also up to working out what is what is the impact on a city of design how do these different factors such as lack of uh, lack of green spaces in a city for example how might they impact people and really with nairobi design week what we're looking at now is that now that people are starting to look at nairobi as a design city our kind of five-year goal is to to support Nairobi in an application for a UNESCO Creative Cities so that Nairobi becomes the second African UNESCO Creative City of Design after Cape Town. And Cape Town was, of course, a world design capital in 2014 as well. So, so that's an ambition for us. And we're doing that through the community design studio that we run. So Nairobi Design Week is the festival and, and all that comes with that annually. So, so 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 wait are you guys still applying for that uh to make a nairobi uh yes yeah for, to, to to make nairobi a unesco creative city yes okay i think i know the people behind uh, making cape town the cap the capital mm -hmm. uh, of design so if you want to get introduced to them i can create the bridge thank you thank you i yeah. that's really useful i know i've spoken to Sunay and and Mugendi, who are both supporting yeah, the, the yeah game. yeah 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 like um, Sunay she's one of the person and there is another guy from who is responsible for the D school in Cape Town. Mm. Uh, so yeah, like I think is I'm not sure. I'm still have to confirm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that rings a bell. Cool. Yeah, we we can carry on that conversation. So that's. That's where we are. We're a festival and a community design studio that uh, we're a small studio that can take on briefs, whether those are client briefs externally or whether we create our own briefs through an insight or because we think this is a cool thing that deserves to be worked on, such as our labeled human campaign and, and such as some of the other things we do. And then we bring in experts from the community or young talent from the community to help us work on those things and project manage and creatively direct them. Mm, nice. Nice. That's a very, very big, uh, big ambition. Uh, like it make me, it make me, uh, it makes me want to do the same for my country. It seems like I, I will try to, to make Maputo a capital like after Nairobi. Let's see. Let's see. It's very inspiring. <laughs> Yeah, man, we should do it. Let's uh, <laughs> let's get some more design cities yeah, officially like that, stamped. Yeah, that's a, that's a very very nice uh, nice. I will definitely reach out to you to know uh, what what are the steps required to to get into this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, we've been uh, we've been invited to a few ICOD events, International Council of Design. They are. Um, they, they, yeah, we had our team go to Beijing and then I went to Graz in 2019 to, for this, for like a special meeting that brings together what 
design weeks from around the world and events from around the world. And a lot of those cities that we're attending actually were already design cities from the UNESCO network. So we're trying to, to learn from those guys and learn what we should be, how, what the process is, et cetera, and then, then go through with it, yeah. And hopefully that will, of course, have you know, an impact on a broader culture, you could say. We would love this to have a tourism impact as well, right? And for people to start appreciating their uh, design for, for what it is. Okay. Uh, are you currently still in, in, in Nairobi? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and why you stay there? Why? Yes. Good question. Nairobi, Nairobi is amazing because it's a very fast city. I've, I've used the comparison and I've heard other people use it as well, that it's like Berlin used to be maybe 20 years ago or, or 30 years ago. It has that energy, the creative spark, and that's, that comes from the people, of course. Um, so it's, um, really, really very hands-on in the sense that if, if you want to have a prototype made here, you can draw up a sketch of a table or a chair and you can take it outside to the carpenter and to the welder and whoever else, and they will make it for you. And that allows you to prototype quickly that also allows you to get really cool products that have a handmade touch which we hope we don't lose because the, as they call it juakali under the hot sun um or the, it's it's uh that's the name of the industry so we hope we hope that kind of keep, keeps going from strength to strength here and that's something that we try to incorporate into into the projects we work on as well Okay, but you said like Nairobi, like who's like Berlin 30 years ago. Why don't you just go to Berlin then and you stay in Nairobi? Wow, good. Wow, I've been to Berlin. I've been a few times. I used to pass through Berlin to go to Poland, but and, and I love it. And actually, it's yeah, good question. I mean, Nairobi, I said Berlin in the past. Berlin is yeah. not like that right now. Yeah. Right? I, oh, okay. So, like, yeah, the question is why you want Berlin in the past? Okay, yeah. That's not to say that we're trying to. That I'm not trying to say that, but that Nairobi is stuck in the past or anything. No, I, I fact, got it. Uh, I understand. I get you. Yeah. No, I know. I wanted to clarify that for for the listeners as well. Um, but so so it's um, it's the people that that you meet here. Really, I think the people make the city. And my experiences with people all over the world have been positive. You get good people and bad people everywhere, but you, you get really creative people here um, and people who, are, who have visions, who are looking to do things differently and do things in a new way. And I think maybe now, now that I'm talking, you've actually, yeah, maybe digging deeper. I think I've touched on that minimalism, right? And I've always been a designer who tries to go as minimal as possible and what i've learned maybe in nairobi and from the creatives in nairobi is that there is a space for maximalism and there is a way and there is a way i think african design has taught me this in general that there's a 
a very good way to fit things in that doesn't have to mean that you leave a blank space, right? I used to wear plain t-shirts and so on and plain trousers. And now some of the things I wear, I couldn't imagine that I would have worn them when I was okay. at university, right? <laughs> okay. Because I wear African fabrics and I love African fabrics. And and that's something that I've I've learned here and I've learned from Nairobi that there are other ways you can approach design that isn't just minimal and that everything, not everything has to be done the same way. So perhaps that... Like, uh, like seeing things on this perspective from maximalism perspective, like make things more interesting and never, never, never thought about things in this respect because African design or symbolism has nothing minimal. It's like really vibrant. Uh, it's really mm -hmm. rich. And we kind of forcing ourselves to be minimal and like being African have nothing to do with being minimal. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's maybe where I found like, maybe there was like a clash where for me personally, because I was a minimal designer trying to create a brand identity for an African city. Right. And that's why we've really focused as we, as we kind of keep developing to be engaging African creatives, because this is a community platform. That's why all of our assets are created now by African designers, right? And, and so on, so that um, we, can, we can have that genuine, uh, genuine perspective. And that's taught me as well, how to maybe utilize these assets, how to incorporate some of the things that I'm learning from African design into my design methodology. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, that's 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 a fantastic. Uh, like I usually have like questions uh, for my interviews. I don't think I have for you. Like uh, like your story kind of touched indirectly, like to almost all the points that I covered on the standard questions. So that's gonna be a unscripted episode, and I'm really really nice to do. I'm really happy that we decide to record this. And I'm really happy that I'm going to be able to share this conversation with other people. I would, reg I would regret so bad if I didn't do this. So happy, happy. I'm so happy we have it recorded, <laughs> man. I'll, I'm looking forward to this. And I know I'm going off on tangents all over and I'm like finishing off a point from 20 minutes ago. But, I, <laughs> but yeah, I'm hoping, trying to give you, give you as much insight so we can get to know each other even better. Yeah, so like, like for me, it was important to understand this because uh, I, uh, as I always try to do, I try to learn from other people because uh, most of the people with, with a mission that is kind of aligned with, with mine uh, because I think I can, I can speed up the process like on, on, on becoming this world-class designer. And finding someone who actually is doing something from Africa brings a completely different perspective. Example, you talk about maximalism, and I don't think it's going to be a very common thing from if I was interviewing someone from the West because the design is more Bauhaus-centered. We know like mm -hmm. Bauhaus end up like influentiate the way like design is, is done like around the world. And everyone's going to say, go minimal, go minimal. And you kind of manage to bring a different perspective. And this is really valuable because helps like Africans embrace Africanism. Africanis. I'm not sure if it's not even a word. Mm -hmm. Africanism. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. So so yeah, it's really really inspiring. And and uh, like learning about your 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 trajectory, it's uh, it's also inspiring because I was always curious to know what motivates people like you to do what you guys are currently doing, because as you know, like in Africa, we there is not enough people doing this type of things. Uh, and uh, we wish we were we were more like so because we are the one like uh, there is a code that uh, that we that I used to use like to guide myself that we are the one who we we've been waiting for so if we're looking for change probably that's your responsibility so we should take charge of that and uh, yeah like I really I feel really happy when I see people doing that like for the continent and uh, in, in the name of all. Africans, I would like to say thank you for your efforts and to put Africa and especially Nairobi, Kenya on the map. Wow. So, thank yeah, you, man. That means yeah. a lot. That means a lot from you. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, that's really nice. It's all, you know, there's always this kind of balancing act that we're trying to do because I'm, I'm fully aware that I'm not, uh, I'm not African, but that's, um, we're trying to utilize that, like my experience and networks in London and Europe, for example, so that we can get African design out there, right? And really, yeah, we do have that focus on trying to get local insights and got people executing locally um, so, that, so that we can keep growing together. And, and really, you asked what motivates me. I think it's fun. Like the, I'm doing what I wanted to be doing. I'm, I'm, my one non-negotiable was to be designing and to be traveling, which I'm not doing a lot of these days, to be fair. But, but I have done, and I'm, I'm, I think I've changed that word travel now to discovering the world's cultures or discovering maybe learning about the world. I want to be creating and I want to be taking in lots of information from from what I'm learning. So. Yeah, I think it's the one the the word we come back to a lot is is fun and making sure that whatever we're doing, we're having fun with it, we're enjoying it, and if we are not, we need to look at that and say, well, why, you know, why isn't this driving me? Why am I working on a project perhaps that isn't something that we want to be working on? Right? We we need to make sure that's fun for us. Yeah, and uh, like uh, like like uh, re- reinforcing a point that you just said, like about you not being African. Actually, that is a is a advantage because we Africans we are not as confident as we should be because you know like colonialism kind of uh, made us lose our self, our sense of identity, and we always want to be someone else, like someone like from Europe or America. And uh, it it's actually inspires us when we see someone like you trying to be making being African look cool. I'm not sure if it makes sense. So when we see like Adrian running Nairobi uh, Design Week, you're like, okay. Because if Adrian, who's from Europe, is doing Nairobi Design School, I should be doing the same because being African seems cool. Like you kind of, like in an indirect way, you kind of, giving us back the confidence that we kind of lack. Uh, And a lot of people might not be able to verbalize this, but I can tell you that you, like I see this as your mission also, because when people see that it's it's, it's, as a non-African running this, 
we're starting seeing Africa in a completely different perspective. It's not because we don't know, but reinforcement changed the perspective. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah, wow, really. Um, first of all, thanks. And, and I guess I understand, I see what you're saying, and I can see some remnants of these things, right, sometimes. And there are, um, there's so much, you, so much left over from colonialism and that, that's still hanging. And just things that, things that I find really silly, in fact, something that really pisses me off, sorry, but it, it's, it's the fact that a lot of these, let's call it a remnant, let's say the curriculum, let's say the education curriculum in a particular African country might be looked down upon as old-fashioned by a European but it was the same European powers who implemented that curriculum 60 years ago, right? So, so, and then, and then left it without improving it, right? So a lot of the, yeah, I totally see what you're saying about that kind of confidence as well. And we hope that's, that's coming. Being African is cool. And Africa is super cool. So people need to know about that. Yeah, that's fantastic. I think that's going to be the title of this episode. <laughs> Being African is cool. Okay. There yeah. you go. Yeah. So, Ladron, I'm not gonna see much of your time. So, thank you for for this. Like, this was a fantastic, unexpected interview, and I really love it. Uh, Cheers, man. Yeah. So, t- hopefully, talk to you soon, man. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a good catch up. Cheers.